You're listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. For more information, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk. 1 Samuel. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zufite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an, Ephraim, an, Ephraim, an Ephraimite. He had two wives, one was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrificed to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and said to her, "'How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine!' Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favour in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull 
an ephah of flour and a skin of wine. She brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he shall be given over to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. But, um, so it is Mother's Day. Uh, I'll give a word of warning now. So if we are going to do 1 Samuel later on. Chris is going to do uh, this 1 Samuel further on in the year. So if I say anything wrong, he can correct it in a few weeks' time. Uh, but the, we're, not, we're not going to go through the passage um, with great expositional detail. Uh, we are going to portray a godly mother. Uh, so we're gonna, uh, we'll pray, we'll ask God for his help, and then we're going to consider Hannah, and we're going to consider those, uh, those three points on the screen. So shall we just pray? Lord God, we do thank you and we do praise you that we can uh, speak with you, the eternal living God. Uh, We thank you, Lord God, that we're able to come into your presence uh, through your son, Jesus, uh, that we have your word, that you have spoken to us, uh, that you are working in our lives to magnify and glorify uh, your name and yourself. Uh, Father, we thank you for our mothers. We thank you for Mother's Day and for the opportunity to think about uh, what it looks like to be a godly mother. Uh, We thank you, Father, for the work that you have done in the lives of uh, women and mothers here. Uh, at this church, we thank you, Lord, for uh, the salvation that you have granted, the families that you've created, uh, the work that you are doing. We pray that you would help us as we consider uh, this text. Uh, Lord, would you uh, grant us grace, help us to uh, consider carefully what your word teaches us. We do pray that you'd move by your spirit for your, uh, for your name and for your honor. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, as has been said, today is Mother's Day. Uh, God commands us uh, to honour our mothers, and he repeatedly shows uh, in his word the significant role that mothers play in redemption history. Uh, Being a mum is a great privilege, uh, but it's immensely hard work. Don't know that from personal experience. Uh, I just know that from looking on. Uh, Solomon knew the role, the vital role a mother plays in raising children appropriately, Uh, He said in Proverbs chapter 1, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Uh, In a more ordinary sense, someone once put it like this. My mother taught me religion. When I spilled juice on the carpet, she instructed, you better pray that stain will come out. (laughs) My mother taught me logic from her decisive words, because I said so, that's why. My mother taught me foresight. Make sure you wear underwear in case you're in an accident. My mother taught me irony. Keep laughing and I'll give you something to cry about. My mother taught me stamina. You'll sit there till all that spinach is finished. My mother taught me about the weather. It looks as if a tornado swept through your room. My mother taught me the circle of life. I brought you into this world and I can take you out. My mother taught me about behaviour modification. Stop acting like your father. Uh, My mother taught me about envy. There are millions of less fortunate children in this world who don't have a wonderful mum like you do. 
So we're going to consider Hannah. We're going to consider a woman, a godly woman, and also a woman who became a mother. Uh, we need to be clear, let's just be clear, that even though we're speaking about mothers primarily, uh, it doesn't mean that the men can switch off. It doesn't also mean that if you're not a mother, uh, you are a woman, but you're not a mother, that this is not relevant for you. When considering uh, Hannah, considering this godly woman, uh, there is truth for us all here. Andy's already said it, but I do want to acknowledge that obviously uh, Mother's Day is hard for some. It might be hard for all. It could be hard for you if you've got children, but it, it's hard for... It's hard for some who are no longer able to uh, honour their mothers, their mothers aren't with them, who perhaps have lost a mother, or maybe you're caring for a mother, uh, you're going through the heartache of seeing uh, your mother in old age. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe you've, never, you've got the, uh, a similar experience to Hannah, that you've not been able to have children, that's something uh, that you long for. Uh, there are those, of course, who uh, have lost a child. Uh, so Mother's Day can be a painful uh, time, it can be a painful reminder of heartache, uh, and suffering, and that's that's really what I want us to uh, to just lead into with our first point. A godly mother suffers, but knows the Lord who is sovereign. A godly mother suffers, but knows the Lord who is sovereign. You know, as they packed their bags, as this family, Elkanah and his wives, as they loaded Penina's children into the car, and as they punch in the coordinates uh, to travel to Shiloh. Uh, there were two women sitting silent with their stomachs in knots. Uh, this annual trip isn't just the family tradition, it's the national tradition. And it's going to involve special mealtimes, it's going to involve all sorts of different elements that make it a joyful occasion uh, of worship to the Lord. But I want to suggest it probably wasn't a joyful occasion for Hannah or Penina, that in fact they knew what was coming this is the annual trip. It's something they've, they're used to doing. But their family life is far from straightforward. Their family life isn't straightforward at all at the best of times. And each year, this trip is only going to heighten the suffering and the tension, and it's going to exacerbate uh, the problems. It, it's likely that Elkanah had married uh, Penina because Hannah hadn't provided him uh, with children. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Now, now, God does not record that. He does not record this marriage relationship and this family relationship to approve of it. He records it uh, because it's the reality of the family home. He is just recording the details, good, bad, and indifferent. And we see the consequences throughout Scripture. Whenever we don't follow God's ways, we see the consequences uh, for families uh, the tensions that it brings. Uh, and what happened is when they had this trip, when they were going to Shiloh for the specific reason of worshipping the Lord, it, it brought these family dynamics into sharp focus. For, for Penina, it's a time when she's going to be confronted with the stark reality that she isn't loved as much as another. And for Hannah, it's a time when she's going to be confronted with the stark reality that she is not a mother. She's unable to have uh, children or has been unable to have children to this point. So when they went to Shiloh, when they went to worship the Lord, Elkanah would honour his family as part of this occasion. His, his way of honouring uh, these wives was to, uh, was to go to the central place of worship, be involved in this, you know, in this special time for the Israelites, and make offerings, and he would give portions to Penina and to her sons and daughters, and Hannah was given a double portion. So in his actions, in doing something to honour them, 
He's essentially saying to Penina, I love Hannah more than you. Understandably, you know, should this would tear up her inside. This might cause her great grief. Instead of her heart being focused on the Lord in worship and adoration, uh, she's distracted with the thought that Alcana's affection isn't wholehearted. So Penina took it out on Hannah, taunting her over the fact that she wasn't a mother. Hannah tr- had to bear the shame and the stigma of not being able to have children, of not uh, being a mother. She longs for a child. Uh, she is desperate for a child and she suffers the affliction of infertility. So she carries this constant burden and heartache. She's carrying this with her on a daily basis. But on top of this, she now faces the taunts of her rival. The provocation, the provocation was intense. Panina was constantly prodding her. Snide comments at the meal table... Carefully calculated reminders to make Hannah feel inadequate, cruelly reminding her of the children that she didn't have uh, but longed for. Shiloh, the word Shiloh means rest, but this is not what these women are enjoying at all. When they go here on this yearly uh, trip with this focus and activity on worshipping the Lord, the last thing that they're experiencing uh, is rest. And it's important to think that we're not, we're not seeing Hannah's suffering as only one season during her lifetime. This is an ongoing daily thing that she experiences. And it's intensified around the very time of worship. Hannah speaks of her misery. Misery that she would associate with the Lord's house and worship. Her worship goes hand in hand with weeping. When our hearts ache, it affects the simple and essential daily routine of our lives. So Hannah loses her appetite. She's not able to eat. She doesn't feel like, uh, like touching the food that's provided for her. Elkanah's doing something you know, as an act and as an expression of his love for Hannah, an act of kindness to her. But it was that very act that was leading to uh, her experiencing greater suffering and cruelty uh, and losing her desire to eat. In classic fashion, as I'm sure all husbands have done in this room, uh, me included, at one time or another, we have tried our best to console our wives over some issue, uh, and we've actually only demonstrated uh, a greater insensitivity to the problem at hand. So, Elkanah's words were, don't I mean more to you than ten sons? He does his best to, he does his best to console her. He is showing love for her, but he's a flawed man. He's not going to get it right, and he's insensitive over this issue. He recognises the problem, uh, but he is thoughtless in his words. Uh, When Mark was reading it a minute ago, um, I can't remember the expression, it's not going to come to mind, but there's a book later on, I think he says, do what's best for you. And I thought, that's probably what most husbands should say to their wives more often uh, than not. Do what you think's best, because we don't really know what we're doing. Um, So... (laughs) But even though, what the point I want to come to, first of all, is even though she is suffering affliction and misery, Hannah's situation isn't meaningless. You know, a godly mother has suffering, or a godly woman has suffering, or any of us have suffering, but it isn't meaningless. It isn't meaningless because the Lord is sovereign, because it's the Lord who had closed her womb. It was the Lord who had his plan, his timing, his purpose that was perfect in every single detail. For Hannah, in real life, it it means suffering, it means sadness and heartache, but it wasn't meaningless suffering. 
The life of this woman was ordered by the eternal God of heaven, by the Lord of heaven's armies. Her family life was like every family life. It was messy. It was tainted by sin. It was broken. The ordinary routine in the midst of affliction. But whether you're single or married, whether you have children or you don't have children, hopefully you're not in a polygamous relationship. But the reality is we all have homes affected by mess. We all have homes affected by sin. God remains sovereign. God remains sovereign and his will is perfect. So even though our homes are far from perfect, even though you mothers have a home that is far from perfect, God is perfect. We might not understand why he allows us to be in such a situation as this. We might not understand why God won't grant us what we desire and what we legitimately uh, crave. But God is good and his steadfast love endures forever. So he is sovereign over Hannah's circumstances and he is faithful in his love and his love is equal. Elkanah's might not have been, but his love is equal. I want this to come on to point two. A, a godly mother prays and knows the Lord who hears. So she is suffering, but the Lord is sovereign. And yet a godly mother prays and knows the Lord who hears. All of this drove Hannah to desperate prayer. It says in the text, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. Scott Hubbard puts it like this. He says, years of infertility joined with Penina's mockery had finally broken the dam of Hannah's sorrow. In her deep anguish, she prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly in her misery. She poured out her soul to God. You know, often when we are experiencing great difficulty, not only does it affect our appetite, but the last thing we want to do is pray. It would have been easy for Hannah to give up entirely. It, it would have been easy for Hannah not to pray. But she goes to the God who has all authority and power. She goes to the only one that she can truly turn to. The men that we see in this passage, uh, the men who come into Hannah's life, aren't exactly helping the situation. Besides a somewhat devoted yet thoughtless husband, she then has Eli the priest in Shiloh adding to the emotional strain. Eli the priest, we, we know from passages later that he didn't exactly have his own family in check. He had a messy and a broken home. But uh, he takes it upon himself to accuse her uh, of having overdone it at the meal table. He starts to say she's, she's drunk too much. He looks at her, sees her praying, but he doesn't know that's what she's doing. And instead, the lady who's pushed her food around her plate, the lady who's been unable to, to eat this woman who is weeping, he says she's drunk. Hannah's praying to God and Eli's observing her lips uh, moving, but he, he hears no audible sound because she's praying in her heart. And his discernment is such that rather than see a woman devoted to God, he essentially accuses her of being a wicked woman. Eli couldn't hear her prayer, but God heard her prayer. Hannah's name means grace, uh, but Elkanah and Eli are not exactly showing her any grace. Instead, it's the Lord who has grace uh, for Hannah. The Lord has abundant grace for Hannah. Hannah is longing to be a mother. In her grief, she could turn to sin, but instead she is turning to God. She's not angry with God. She's not um, taking it out on Elkanah. She's not even retaliating to Penina. 
Instead, she takes everything to the Lord. She pours out her soul to God. She lays everything before him. Your godly mother, or a woman, as she is at this stage, doesn't have to have a perfect home life. A godly mother isn't superhuman. A godly mother, instead, is someone who honestly and sincerely depends upon the sovereign God of heaven. A godly mother is someone who honestly and sincerely pours out their soul before the Lord, to the almighty, eternal God. And her suffering, in her suffering, this is the means of her coming to the Lord. It's the means of her pursuing his will in a deeper and more intimate way. She comes to God with the acknowledgement that he is Lord of her life. And she comes to God with the acknowledgement that she will submit her desire to his will and plan. So she makes a vow to the Lord. The life of this woman was ordered and orchestrated by the eternal God of heaven. And the prayer life of this woman was her outpouring of her desires, her emotions, and her whole being to the one who could hear. When you look at the heart of her prayer, it's particularly notable how she prays. She says, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will, be, will ever be used on his head. What she's doing there is she is she's praying and committing to a Nazarite vow. So this is referred to in Numbers chapter 6. Uh, when an Israelite would specifically dedicate themselves to the Lord, and for they would do this for a season. It wouldn't be a permanent thing. They would do it for a season. And during that time, they would, they would refrain from alcohol, dead bodies, and a haircut. So I don't know how much you have interaction with those things. Maybe some people... Um, I take it none of us go near dead bodies, but um, that's essentially what they were doing. It, it might seem odd at first, but it is symbolizing that a holy and dedicated life for God is dedicated entirely to him, the living God. That it, it's not controlled by drink, it's controlled by him. It's not, the hair isn't cut because it's, to be, it's a symbol that we're being used for him. And it's the living God, not, from, not associated with death, not belonging to death, but instead... Uh, belonging to the living God. So that was a special thing. It was a special season in the life of, of an Israelite where they would dedicate themselves to the Lord and they would refrain from being in contact with any of those uh, things. So Eli explains, she, you know, Hannah explains to the priest, to Eli, and what she's been doing, that she's been praying, and Eli responds and he says, may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Now, now Eli is not guaranteeing that her prayer is going to be answered. He's only expressing his own desire that it is answered. I, I do want to be careful here because there's, you know, whatever we are praying for, and if we think specifically about uh, women and mothers in this way, it, it isn't that God will, if we pray sincerely, if we pray honestly, if we pray desperately with any legitimate desire that God will give us what we want. We mustn't think that this passage is showing us that we just need to pray harder or pray more God's answer may be no, but God is sovereign and he knows what is best. And whilst we might not understand it, we might pray for something for years. A woman might pray for a child for years. Uh, parents might pray for the salvation of, a, of their children for years. And, and that prayer hasn't yet been answered. But prayer does change her. 
Prayer didn't change her circumstances initially, but being in God's presence changed her. Being in God's presence meant that she went out differently. And for every single one of us, whether we are a mother or not, prayer is about us being changed. She is wonderfully coming to God and she's saying, I want this, Lord, but I want it for your glory. I want this to happen in my life, but I want it to be dedicated to you. I want a son so that the whole thing might be a dedication uh, to you. So a godly mother suffers but knows the Lord who is sovereign. A godly mother prays and knows the Lord who hears. And finally, a godly mother gives because the Lord remembers. So this family, they rise early to worship, and they worship, and then they return home to Rama. It says that in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant, gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. So she becomes pregnant. It doesn't happen straight away. There was a further wait. In God's timing, she became a mother. When the Bible speaks of God remembering, it does this often. And, and it's not the case of, you know, God, it's not the case of uh, God's memory being like our memory. You know, we, we hopefully remember to go and pick up the children from school. Or maybe we forget uh, a doctor's appointment or we forget something that was vital and important. But when, when the Bible speaks of God remembering, it's speaking of God responding. It's, it's signifying that God is intervening. The Hebrew word does not imply that God forgot and then suddenly remembered. Uh, or that it's that he called it to mind. It's to remember in the sense that God is going to act in accordance with something. So you see it in Genesis chapter 8, when God remembers Noah in the ark, when there's that particular moment. You see it in relation to Abraham and Lot, when God remembers Abraham in Genesis 19. And God is, this is the moment of God's intervention. This is the moment when God remembers, signifying he's going to respond. The weeping, anxious Hannah is not a woman out of a mother's reach. She's not a well-known woman. She is not a put-together woman. So far as we know, she's not a particularly strong woman. But she was a praying woman. And through her prayers, God showed his great power. You know, the annual trip to, to Shiloh takes place on further occasions. So Hannah, we read that Hannah did not go uh, because she was nurturing and feeding her baby boy. The time would come when she would go up to present uh, him to the Lord. And, and you wonder how she must have felt in that moment. You know, earlier on we said that there would be times where she would have made this annual trip where she's going and worship is associated with weeping. They go hand in hand. This is her turmoil. And yet now she's going to take this journey. She's going to go to Shiloh again and she's going to present this, this boy uh, to the Lord. How would she feel? This is what she'd longed for. This is what she's prayed for. And now she's going to go and dedicate uh, the boy, her son, to the Lord. When Samuel was brought to the temple, he might have been about three or four years of age. And he was placed under the care of the man who thought she was a wicked woman. And he was placed under the care of the man who didn't have his own family in order. And that is a remarkable act of faith. Isn't this remarkable that Hannah has prayed for a son for so long? She has longed for it. She has suffered. She has been taunted, mocked, ridiculed. And now when she dedicates her son to the Lord, she puts him in the care of Eli, who doesn't have the best discernment skills at this moment in time and hasn't been leading his family in the best possible way. 
that would be the last thing you would want to do as a mother. That would be the last thing a mother would want to do to put uh, her son in this, in this man's care. Wearsby said, considering the low level of spiritual life in Eli and the wicked ways of his sons, it took a great deal of faith for Elkanah and Hannah to leave their innocent son in their care. But the Lord was with Samuel and would preserve him from the pollution all around. Hannah fulfilled her word and it was, she fulfilled what she'd vowed, what she'd vowed, she fulfilled what she promised. And it was God's word that was being established because her motherhood had great, a great goal and great glory. Samuel was dedicated to the Lord and he worshipped the Lord. She said this, I prayed for this child, now I give him to the Lord. You know, our, our lives and the lives of our children are not our own. We have been graciously given this privilege by God. And if we haven't been given this privilege by God, we have other privileges and opportunities to influence the lives of those younger than us. In this church, we have the privilege and opportunity to do this. But for all of us, our lives are not our own. We are, we are his servants and we, are, we should be. And the lives of our children should be given over uh, to our God. Often society can look at children as this kind of major inconvenience because what we do is we look at our children through the lens of what can I gain? Hannah, when she looked at this situation, when she prayed for it, she said, what can I give? So therefore, by God's grace and mercy, a godly mother lives depending entirely upon the Lord. She submits to him and she raises a family that will worship him. This is a flawed family. They are a broken family. They are a family of ten with tension and with difficulty, with challenge. But she is going to go above and beyond the Nazarite vow. She's going to give him lifelong, a lifelong loan to the Lord. He's not going to be dedicated for a season. He's going to be dedicated for his life. You know, when we worship God today, when we come to worship him, our God is the Lord of heaven's armies. So he is the one who is sovereign. He is the one who is over all things. He is the one who hears and he is the one who remembers. At his appointed time, he intervenes. You know, it might be that we have been praying for children. It might be that there is someone who is praying for children and it hasn't happened. It might be that you have lost a child. It might be that Mother's Day is the day that you, that you dread because of suffering and heartache. We might be praying for the salvation of someone and it hasn't happened. We might be praying for a life's partner and God hasn't answered uh, that prayer. There's, there's any number of ways in life, parents or otherwise, where we might pray out of desperation. But whatever we desire, may it be that God in his grace would grant that we do it for his glory. That when we pray for that, we pray that it might be for God's name, for his glory. Because he is the one who knows what is best and he orders our life according to what is best. You know, when he is working, and when he's working in the life of Hannah, he is working to, to bring her to deeper fellowship, mapping out her life, blessing her in ways that he knows best, and all for his ultimate glory and honour. And if, we, if you are a mother, and if your life is, your family life is messy, or you're a father and your life is messy, and you're, you're kind of the Elkana of the situation, you're worshipping, but sometimes you say something insensitive. Whatever our, whatever our situation, whatever our circumstance, whatever suffering we might be going through, it's not that we have to be superhuman. 
It's not that you know, mothers are often portrayed as being superhuman. And to be honest, when I watch the mothers in this church, they look superhuman. But the reality is that our God is the one with ultimate power and authority. We don't have to do it in our own strength. Whether you're a mother or not, we are commanded to honour. God commands us to honour the mothers we have. You know, God commands us to honour the mothers we have, whether they were good or bad. And that obedience to that command affects everything. I want to finish with this. In Christ, in the Lord Jesus Christ, our relationship is secure. Our relationship is firm and it is steadfast. There is nothing that is going to change that. Elkanah had a different a, a different attitude to his wives. He was inconsistent in his love. But the love of Christ is pure and it is eternal and it is constant. So we are able to look to him. As a mother, you can look to the Lord Jesus. You can turn your eyes upon him and trust in him. And whatever he is taking you through, you can know that he does it for his glory and it is for your good. So I hope that is helpful. Uh, We'll just take a moment to pray and give thanks uh, to God uh, for his word. Lord God, we do thank you and we praise you uh, for the work that you are doing. We thank you, Father, for the grace and the mercy that you've shown us uh, in providing us with this, uh, with this word from yourself. We thank you, Father, that your, uh, your work was, uh, was being accomplished in the life of this family, even though they were worshippers, but uh, their family and their home life was affected by sin. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to truly honour our mothers today. We pray that you would help us to truly appreciate the life that you have given us through them, the way that you have worked in not only in our own mothers, but in other women who have affected us for our good and for our benefit and blessing spiritually. Father, we thank you for all the women who have affected our lives, all those who have influenced us for your glory, all those who have shown us an example of what it is to live before you. And so we pray that you would bless us. We pray that you would help us today to obey your command to honour our mothers. And we pray that you would help the mothers, those who, are, uh, those who have children and grandchildren, uh, those who even might have great-grandchildren, uh, those who have lost their mothers, those who have, are caring for mothers. We pray, Lord, for all of these people that you might give comfort, you might give grace, you might show mercy. And we ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. To find out more about us, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk.